Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouss. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A very good evening. Welcome to Questions and Answers. This is Khawa Salomon. And uh, in studio, we have Sheikh from the um, Yusufia Masjid out in Weinberg. Uh, that is the bus terminus in Weinberg. Sheikh, our regular guest, answering your questions on Questions and Answers every Saturday evening between 6 and 7. Please do tell your friends and family. I'm sure um, they know already, but those following us across the lands and over the seas, it is 6 p.m. Uh, Cape Town, South African time. You you can audio stream via vocfm.co.za and uh, also interact via our Facebook page, um, email, fax, uh, telephone. Um, you can connect with us via SMS if possible. And uh, you could send through correspondence through to Yasmina Peterson here at the, the studio during office hours. But let's now welcome Sheikh Ibrahim. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to you, uh, Sister Hua, and to our honorable listeners. MashaAllah, shukran uh, once again, Sheikh, for making the time available. And of course, to our uh, listeners uh, for sending through the questions. Uh, please note that they, you know, try and find uh, your local masjid, imam, or classes at the gatherings that they are um, to also get the necessary questions if you need it quite urgently. But a big shukran to everybody who um, has patiently awaited the answers to their questions, Sheikh. So the first one we read is Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. If a husband gives the wife a talaq via a letter, um, is this valid and can it be reversed? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah rabbil alameen wa sallallahu ala sayyidina wa maulana muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Uh, scholars uh, all agree that uh, uh, writing a letter with the words of talaq is a method that uh, could be effective in executing that talaq. Um, and this is also something that in our modern uh, day and age, we find uh, through the SMSs or through the emails, etc. on WhatsApp. So this question uh, does come up, is this talaq valid? And the answer is yes, generally it is valid, but there's uh, perhaps some conditions that must be looked at. Uh, one of the conditions is that first of all, it must be able to be verified first that the person actually wrote the letter. Mm. Because we know anybody can write a letter, anybody can send a message. So the person must be questioned or called in at least and asked whether the person, the husband actually wrote this letter and if he confirms then the second thing we will say to him is that this letter that you've uh, written, did you actually intend talaq with it mm. or is it perhaps for another reason that you've written this letter so in other words it's not just a straightforward talaq that is uttered but it needs uh, verification from the person who wrote it, so let's say he wrote the letter but he said no I didn't really intend talaq uh, you know, there was something else on my mind or I was just scribbling on a piece of paper. And this is unfortunately what I wrote. Mm. So if that is the case, we say the talaq is, is not valid. But if he says that he intended talaq by it, then of course that talaq will be valid. So those are the conditions. Firstly, it must be verified by the person that he actually sent the message. Uh, so as we said, anybody can write or send a message. So the person himself must verify. And secondly, uh, the person must have actually intended talaq when writing the message. If those conditions are met, then the talaq will be valid. And with regards to it being uh, reversible, can you reverse it or not obviously reversing meaning can you reconcile after such a talaq mm. the answer is yes you can reconcile although that talaq obviously will count as one talaq if it is during the idda period you and your husband can still reconcile if it is not during the idda period then you will have to remarry again with all all the things that go with it uh, and that is after the idda has been completed inshallah Jazakallah, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Between my parents, there are hardly any communication and it is very quiet in the house. I feel as if there might be some sort of divorce um, that could happen, but my mother says that my father should go through with it. And my father wants to know why my mother cannot do it. Can Sheikh advise me on how to get them to talk about the situation, Kanala? Yeah, obviously, as a child, it's going to be difficult for you to, to dictate to them or to tell them that they need to obviously sit down. If you are able to do that, if you are able to uh, gently get them together to sit and speak about the issue at hand, then that will be great. But if you are not able to, then it's best that you get an elderly in your family, somebody perhaps that both of them uh, respect and look up to, to actually sit with them. Because obviously, living the way that they are living, not speaking to each other, is not at all healthy for their marriage. And obviously, it is not what marriage is about. So uh, we need to get somebody to sit them down and to actually uh, what the issues are. And inshallah, either it can be resolved 
if it's not difficult we can resolve it or resolve it we can listen and if, if there's a way in which we can you know find a solution then alhamdulillah that will obviously be the best option if however both of them feel strongly that they want to proceed rather with separation then that is obviously something which uh, can be done as well but this will be done on the basis of advice given to them by whoever is going to listen to them uh, and so if it can be a person who's both neutral and learned at the same time and somebody that they both look up to then that would obviously be the best option uh, if you as a child cannot get them to sit down uh, and I, I suppose it's sometimes difficult for children to to interfere with things like this because parents don't uh, normally like uh, children to interfere so that would probably be the best option for you at this point in time inshallah all the best to that family inshallah so the next one similar to our first question Sheikh assalamu alaikum if you received a written talaq from your ex-husband uh, but he was married but he still wants to interfere with your life and in an abusive way as well he doesn't want to listen to anyone what can one do Sheikh? Yeah, firstly, if the divorce was confirmed, the way that we uh, had answered the first question, uh, if you verified it and you intended talaq by it and it's confirmed, and you are obviously now uh, gone through the, the process of idda, so if uh, uh, it is within the idda, then obviously you can still reconcile uh, and you can still work out things. But let's say the idda is over and he still carries on with uh, communicating with you, then obviously you've got all the right to tell him that, you know, my idda is done, you gave me a talaq, so I am no longer your wife and you've got no right over me, you, you are not allowed to. And you can obviously do whatever you need to do in order to uh, keep him at bay or to put him in his place, uh, even if it means that you need to get an interdict, if that, if that is the only way that you're going to get a message over to him, then that is what you can do, what you should do. If in fact you feel threatened or you feel that you, you're not safe, you know, when he comes to you or when he speaks to you, etc., uh, then you can do that. Uh, if he's on the phone, etc., you simply, if he's no longer your, your husband, you can block him, you know, you can simply delete him because you, you don't owe him anything uh, if the idda is over. If it is still within the idda period, then obviously, uh, as I said, there is still room for reconciliation. And if that is possible, then that is the best way. If not, then you should just wait until the idda is over. And once the idda is over, you can then proceed with your life, inshallah. And you can do whatever it takes in order to send a strong message to him that he has got no right to interfere with you any longer. He, you know, if the idda is done, you are no longer his wife, he's no longer your husband. You've got no obligations towards him and he's got no hold over you. And so you are allowed to make that very clear to him in whatever way you feel is suitable. Jazakallah, when we return, there's questions around burning of incense sticks, myang as we often know it as, uh, the responsibilities of a child or children towards their ill or sick parents, um, something, some guidance on um, the evil eye, inshallah, Sheikh gives us his view and what is available to us, alhamdulillah, after the short break. Do stay tuned, uh, you can still SMS us on 479 uh, one three. That's our SMS line. Preferably, your WhatsApp questions will get lost in the system, so we prefer you rather SMS your questions or contact Yasmina Peterson, um, as well as fax o two one double four double seven two seven one. Back in a moment. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moes. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. A very good evening. Questions and answers every Saturday between 6 and 7. So to continue with your questions, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Khawa wa alaikum salam. Sheikh, now what is the ruling on burning Miyang and Loban, I think it is, and what are the benefits thereof if one does it constantly in your home? Yeah, burning uh, incense sticks or any form of incense, whether it is in the form of sticks or whether it is in the form of powder or anything like that, if it has a pleasant smell, then this is obviously something which is good, which is positive. Uh, we find that the Prophet wasallam himself uh, liked to burn these things in order to create a positive environment. Abdullah ibn Umar, he used to burn these incense. It is a hadith that is recorded in Sahih Muslim that says, كان ابن عمر يستجمر غير مطرات وبكافور يطرحه مع الألوة ويقول هكذا كان يستجمر رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عبد الله بن عمر used to burn these incense and a specific kind taken from the oud from the oud incense he used to take that and burn it and sometimes with camphor mixed with it as well 
and he used to remark that this is the way that the Prophet sallallahu had done it. So obviously giving an idea, giving us an idea that the Prophet used to burn these things. And uh, as I said, a positive fragrance is something that we as humans are attracted to. Uh, whether on ourselves, whether in our homes, wherever we are, it is always very attractive if uh, everything smells fresh or s- smells good. Uh, it, it in fact creates a very positive environment. And with regards to doing it regularly, what does it uh, actually lead to or perhaps what benefit is there in burning this incense? Uh, there's a number of things that, that people have mentioned. One is that uh, it actually, because of the positive vibes that is created through incense, it actually allows you to concentrate much better. It allows for concentration and to actually gather your thoughts. Uh, this is what people are saying, uh, people of, of experience, of course. And it is uh, good for a number of uh, illnesses as, uh, as well, one of, of which is having a headache. If you have a headache and you burn something which has a nice smell, which creates a positive vibe that may actually take away the headache. It's also very good for people who is constantly under stress or people that are obviously very busy in their lives etc and that is why we find the people will tell you as well when you lay in a bath for example also with good smelling incense and all of that it can relax you it can completely put you in a mode of relaxation which uh, is what it what it is intended for so inshallah there is nothing there is nothing wrong with burning incense sticks whether it is in the form of sticks or what we know to be the coal where you throw some powder over and this is bought in Makkah or it is bought uh, at our uh, spice shops, etc. Mm. Um, of course, all of that is uh, good and well. There's nothing wrong with it if it is done for those purposes that we have mentioned. Um, and even the, the citronella, I think, Sheikh, uh, yes, it gives good energy. Smell, it makes you feel good, but it keeps away the flies. <laughs> and the mosquitoes, I believe, <laughs> yes, as well. Okay, so yeah. benefits all around. Uh, so Sheikh mentioned that it is actually a sunnah. It is a sunnah to burn okay. incense or to burn something that has a good uh, fragrance. fragrance okay. As I mentioned, lift uh, energy. Ibn Umar used to do it and he said in Sahih Muslim this is what the Prophet used to do MashaAllah okay Assalamu alaikum Sheikh Shukran for the beautiful program we'd like to know if you are sick and you have to stay with one of your children because your husband can't take care of you but you are staying there with of course with his permission but he doesn't nafaka you or even ask if you need anything what do i do in this situation sheikh shukran yeah it is rather sad if uh, a husband sort of does not show any interest in his wife uh, in this particular way um, and s- especially when you are saying that he gave permission to you to stay by one of your children since maybe your daughter or your son is better equipped to look after you so your husband obviously must give you the support and he should be able to stand by you and uh, try to help you and still show his affection to you in whatever way or form. Uh, and this is exactly the mawadda and the rahmah, which we often speak about in the verse where Allah Ta'ala says, from amongst his signs is that he created for you spouses from amongst yourselves, لِتَسْكُنُوا uh, إِلَيْهَا So that you may find sakina and tranquility. And then Allah says, وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمَةً It is he, Allah, that places between the hearts love and mercy. Love and mercy, right? So it is obviously of mercy if a husband cares for his wife when she is sick. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, if the husband is sick and the wife continues to care for the husband, then this is part of mercy that has been created in a marital relationship. And alhamdulillah, we have a number of examples of this that, we, that, I, that I know of. Where, where couples, you know, when, when the, the one is sick, the other one really looks well after the partner, you know. Mm-hmm. They would sacrifice everything. I've seen even elderly couples. We, I know a, p- a personal uh, you know, couple uh, that I know very well in my area that I live. Although they are over 60, they are g- going on for 70. And I find how this husband looks after his wife in such a way that is absolutely admirable. Mm. You know, he would, uh, she, she's in a wheelchair. He would personally carry her, put her in the wheelchair, take her all over where he goes and show the most uh, uh, beautiful of compassion towards her. Mm. And this is exactly what marriage is about, you know. And so it's unfortunate that your husband is not doing this. So somebody should advise him that uh, if you are ill, that does not mean that you are useless. You know, unfortunately, people think like this sometimes, that you have got no use for me any longer, so I don't give you nafaqa or I don't care for you. This is un-Islamic, it is inhumane, in fact, uh, to do this. So uh, somebody should obviously advise your husband that he still is supposed to give you nafaqa, especially if he allowed you to go and stay by one of your children. And the least that he must do is to at least show support for your illness. What if, if the roles were reversed, for example, if he was the one that was sick? you would obviously expect everybody to rally around him and to help him. So inshallah, we hope that he will you know, realize uh, how important it is for him to stand by your side. Hopefully Allah will give him that guidance inshallah. Uh, and, and if 
possible somebody could speak to him to tell him that his duties as a husband still remain even though you are ill and no longer close to him or living with him his duties should still be honored as a husband if somebody could give him that message inshallah and that would be a very good way forward for this problem that we have. Amen, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. What can one do to recite for protection against any evil eye? Yeah, there is a number of uh, ayat and suwar that has been uh, prescribed to us by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that will protect us against envy and hasad and the evil eye and all of that. And I'm just going to mention very quickly a few of them. One is to recite the quls. The three quls is always very effective for this. In fact, the last two surahs is called Al-Mu'awwidhatayn. It actually has the name of being the two protective surahs. This is how it was named by the Prophet Al-Mu'awwidhatayn. So we must recite as much as we can. The habit of the Prophet was to recite the three quls in his hand just before he retreats and, and goes to bed. He used to recite it in his hand and take this hand and then uh, rub it all over his body. You know, for protection against mm-hmm. all sorts of forces or unseen uh, forces that we are not aware of. Then also to recite the Fatiha is very effective. And also to recite Ayatul Kursi is very effective. And then of the uh, Athkar which was taught to us by the Prophet ﷺ is a famous dhikr that we recite in the Ratibul Haddad. أَعُوذُ بِكَلِمَاتِ اللَّهِ التَّامَّاتِ مِنْ شَرِّ مَا خَلَقِ this hadith appears in Sahih Muslim where the Prophet ﷺ had taught us to recite this, this dua. أعوذ بكلمات الله التامات من شر ما خلق And it means I seek protection in the words of Allah, the words of Allah which is complete against the evil of anything which He created, against the evil of the creation of Allah Ta'ala. You know, so we most of us we know this dua because we recite it in the Ratibul Haddad. أعوذ بكلمات الله التامات من شر ما خلق. So that Ayatul Kursi, the three quls and the Fatiha, is extremely effective in protection against uh, envy or hasad or all those illnesses. Inshallah, there are more uh, athkar as well, but for the sake of brevity, those are the ones that we would share with you at this point in time. Inshallah. Alhamdulillah, shukran, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Hawa. Alaikum salam. I have a daughter that is of marriageable age, but okay, I think what we'll do is the time is a bit short on the segment, so we'll leave that question for the next uh, segment, inshallah. Please do stay with us. Uh, Mom wants to know the ruling on Islamic dating. Back in a moment. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Huas. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back. Questions and answers. So quite a few questions we have to get through, but you can send yours through on 47913, our SMS line 47913, or make it attention, Yasmina Peterson. Call her during office hours 021-442-3500. Uh, Nisa will take your call, inshallah. Maybe you could just forward through to her. Uh, or fax if you have that mode available. Attention Q&A uh, on 21 one. Sheikh Ibrahim was is in studio answering your questions, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Hawa. I have a daughter that is of manageable age. What are the rulings on Islamic dating, Sheikh? Yeah, I'm not too sure uh, what exactly this coin means, uh, Islamic dating. I, I don't know what is intended by it. Uh, but of course, if uh, we look at dating in the conventional sense, where a, a strange male and female uh, have a physical relationship with one another before marriage, uh, and then this is obviously something which Islam does not condone, which Islam does not allow, uh, because obviously, uh, you know, strange male and female are not allowed to have any form of intimate relationship with one another in a physical way uh, before marriage. Um, but if, on the other hand, Islamic dating is referring to where people have a space in which they can communicate with one another in a halal fashion where the mahram is present or where parents are present, etc., then this is fine, this is okay, especially if you, for example, are looking out for your children uh, to get married. Uh, it's nothing wrong for the parent to, to be uh, active in this regard and to actually arrange. But what I want to say is if this happens, then those people involved must obviously have the intention of marriage. It's it, it, it must not be the intention of just dating or just uh, you know 
knowing each other without having the intention of marriage. Uh, because the whole idea that we also find going around is uh, the idea of exploring, you know, what is out there and not really wanting to marry but just enjoying ourselves. And, and, and unfortunately, we find sometimes parents actually encourage this. They say to people, you're still young, you know, why do you want to get married? Why do you want to be so serious? You should try a lot of different relationships and, you know, then you should then decide after that. Um, that is not correct. We should uh, try to stay clear from that kind of thinking. Um, and if people are going to uh, get together in order to know one another and in order to understand or get to understand one another's personalities, it must be for the purpose and the intention of actually getting married. And it mustn't be just to explore or to expedite or to, because it can be a very hurtful process also, you know, for the other person. Let's say it doesn't work out and the person's niya was just to explore. The other person's feelings may be hurt. And that is something which is sacred, which you should never try to do. Um, so uh, definitely dating in the conventional sense, having physical relationships before marriage is haram in Islam. Um, but if it is uh, where parents or uh, community leaders arrange for people to meet each other for the purposes of marriage, in a space which is halal, where the mahram is present, they are not alone, etc., then that obviously is allowed uh, in Islam, uh, insha'Allah ta'ala. And I think it's a good thing if parents actually do get involved in this way uh, in order to guide their children and to be proactive, you know. So, for example, if you see somebody out there that you think could be a possible suitor, you know, a possible match for your child, then it's nothing wrong for you to arrange a meeting between them in a situation which is halal for them to meet each other again it must be for the purposes of them getting married inshallah ta'ala and not just for the purposes of dating or uh, going out or things like that because that is obviously the western concept which is not allowed in islam alaikum, uh, I would like to know what does the Quran say about women's rights, Sheikh? Uh, yeah, indeed, there are a number of uh, indications in the Quran where Allah Ta'ala speaks about women. And what I find always very fascinating is if you look at the chapters of the Quran, you will find that an entire chapter has been dedicated to women. Uh, and this is quite profound. I don't even think the Bible or the Torah or anything like that uh, or the other scriptures, you know, have an, an complete chapter which is called Surah nisa the chapter that speaks about women. You know, you don't have a chapter that speaks about men, for example, mm. that has a, a label, a title as being the chapter of men. You don't get such a surah, but you get a whole chapter that speaks about women. And this is chapter 4 of the Quran. And in this chapter, there is obviously a number of verses that allude to the status of women and the rights that Allah Ta'ala has afforded them and the haq that Allah Ta'ala wants us to fulfill with regards to them. Uh, for example, verse number 7 of Surah An-Nisa, Allah Ta'ala says, لِلْرِجَالِ نَصِيبٌ مِمَّا تَرَكَ الْوَالِدَانِ وَالْأَقْرَبُونَ وَلِلْنِسَاءِ نَصِيبٌ مِمَّا تَرَكَ الْوَالِدَانِ وَالْأَقْرَبُونَ مِمَّا قَلَّ مِنُ أَوْ كَثُرْ نَصِيبًا مَفْرُوضًا In the context of the discussion of inheritance, uh, Allah Ta'ala says for men, there is their portion allotted to them, which the parents or the, the family members leave behind. And for females or for the women as well, they have their portion also of inheritance, which is allotted to them of that which the parents and the family behind. Whether it is a little, whether it is a lot, Allah says, Nasiba mafruda, and this uh, 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 this portion that has been allotted to him, uh, allotted to them, male or female, is something which Allah had made compulsory. So what we learn here is in the time of Jahiliyyah, we know before Islam, women had no rights. They mm. could not inherit. They could not own. In fact, not only uh, in the Eastern world, we find in the Western world as well, women had absolutely no rights. And Islam to elevate them. In this ayah, Allah says, they are entitled to inheritance the same way that males are entitled to inheritance. So nobody can bar them from the, from the haqq as far as the inheritance is concerned. In another verse, Allah Ta'ala says also Surah An-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 32, لِلْرِجَالِ نَصِيبٌ مِمَّا اكْتَسَبُوا وَلِلْنِسَاءِ نَصِيبٌ مِمَّا اكْتَسَبٌ For men, there is their portion which is allotted to them, they have acquired, and for women similarly, there is that portion which they have acquired. Which meaning whatever you acquire in life, it is yours. You know, nobody can take claim of it. And this is within a marriage even. If a wife has certain assets and possessions, the husband has got no right to claim it or just to take it. You know, it's not his, it belongs to the wife. And that's why in Islam, a woman is allowed to own, she's allowed to own a house, a car, a business, uh, assets, uh, jewelry. This is all her ownership. Nobody can deprive her of that if that is what she wish to do. In another Ratun Nahl, chapter 16, verse 97, Allah Ta'ala gives us an indication that 
there is no difference between males and females when it comes to aspiring to do things which pleases Allah Ta'ala. Our women folk should never be deprived of developing themselves spiritually and religiously because this is required in the deen. Allah Ta'ala says, مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا مِنْ ذَكَرٍ أَوْ أُنْثَى وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٍ فَلَنُحْيَنَّهُ حَيَاةً طَيِّبًا If a person does good, good deeds, whether it be a male or a female, and he is a believer, then Allah Ta'ala will give such a person a very good life, a very comfortable life. What we note in this ayah, Allah says, male and female. You know, so we are all, male and female, we are all required by Allah Ta'ala to do our best in this world and to bring forth the best of deeds because Allah Ta'ala will reward us very dearly for it. And then of course there's a number of other issues that we can also speak about. Um, for example, in Surah An-Nisa also at the beginning, Allah Ta'ala speaks about the, the whole issue of dowry, how the dowry is a haq and a right that must be given to the woman. Again, no one can lay claim to that dowry or that maskavi. It belongs entirely to the woman. Allah says, And give to the women folk their dowry as a gift, as a compulsory gift towards them. So these all are ayahs that women folk really, you know, they enjoy all the rights that men enjoy, whether it is from a spiritual dimension, whether it is from a physical dimension, whether it is from a ownership dimension, they have exactly the same rights as men do. And of course, uh, within that context, we can then understand that Islam does not uh, trample upon women as we, uh, as many would like to, to say. But in fact, Islam has, has really, and if you look at Arafah, the day of Arafah, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when he made that very important sermon, he actually said, "Ittaqullaha fi nisa." Fear Allah with regards to women. Make sure that you never trample upon them. Make sure that you don't ill-treat them. You know, because they have been given to you as an amana from Allah Taala. So the Prophet chose those words on a very important day, such as Arafah, to give us the indication that our women folk, our mothers, our sisters, our daughters, you know, they are very dear to us, and we should cherish, and we should uplift them, and we should protect them, and we should give them their haq and their right, which is obviously due towards them. And they, in in turn, must also play their role in giving the haq of their husbands, for example, if they are in a marriage uh, arrangement. The, the husband obviously also has a haq within that marriage and there is a balance as far as these issues are concerned. Jazakallah Sheikh for elaborating. Many people don't even realize that uh, Islam has all these rights for women. In fact, so shukran for that. So uh, remember to SMS us on 47913 for your questions. The next one reads, Assalamu alaikum. I'd like to know, are arranged marriages condoned in Islam, Sheikh? Yeah, again, I think it's uh, perhaps tied in with uh, what we have spoken about earlier on. Um, if parents get involved in order to uh, to encourage or to look out for the children and they arrange partners uh, to meet one another in a halal fashion for the purposes of marriage, then that is obviously something which is good and positive. But if by forced marriages what is meant is that they just do it without the consent of their daughters, and this is among some cultures we do find this, that in fact uh, forced marriages take place. Um, of course, this is not ideal. This is not what uh, what should occur at all because uh, our women folk, especially in the time that we are living, our daughters are living in a very modern society, you know, and they are exposed to so many things out there. Mm. So for us not to get their buy-in or to get their uh, confirmation or affirmation of who they want to get married to, you know, that is obviously something which is, uh, uh, you know, uh, inconceivable in the times that we are living in. So uh, fathers, they should play an active role, but they should not really force their daughters to get married. Sometimes the, you get, unfortunately, some fa- fathers, they have their own agendas. They want their daughters to get married to a rich person, for example, so that the family can get some kickbacks. You know, that is not what marriage is about. Marriage is about love. It's about mawadda. It's about rahma. It's about compassion. It's about passion. It's about all these things. So uh, we should not, uh, you know, we don't condone uh, forced marriages if it is in that particular fashion where uh, a, a, a woman has got no say, for example. And yes, the fiqh does speak about the right of a father that has this particular guardianship over his child. But it is within the context that we must understand all of this. You know, life has become much more uh, complicated nowadays. It's not as simple as it used to be. So uh, uh, I believe that uh, parents, you know, they should at all times uh, speak to their children and get their buy-in and get their approval for marriages, etc. And 
again, there's nothing wrong for them to play an active role in giving guidance or in looking out for their children. This is something obviously which is good and which is obviously acceptable. Jazakallah, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Narkhawa. Um, I have been married for more than 20 years. I'd like to know what is Islam's view on divorce? Yeah, of course, uh, divorce uh, should always be viewed as a last resort to some marital discord that may uh, occur within a marriage. It is something which we try to steer clear from. We try to resolve our differences. We try to reconcile. But at the end of the day, if it becomes unbearable and there is no solution uh, that can be seen, then obviously uh, divorce is taken as a viable solution. Right? It is an option. Although it's not, not the best option, it's a final resort, it could be resorted to if there is nothing else. So uh, uh, if we look at other denominations, for example, if we look at uh, Catholicism, we mm. find that the Roman Catholics are not allowed to get divorced. Mm. So the, the result of that is you find two people being in a marriage and they totally hate the, the atmosphere, or they hate the married life, or there's no way they can see eye to eye, but the religion don't allow them to come out of that marriage. So what happens in that case is we find that on paper and sort of uh, as a front, they remain married. So they remain in the same house, etc. On paper, they are still married. But their lives that they then lead out there, you'll find is totally different. They have maybe, uh, you know, people on the side that they see and girlfriends and stuff like that, boyfriends, uh, because they can't come out of the marriage. So Islam is a very practical religion. Islam wants us to try to keep our marriage together as best as we can. But if it becomes unbearable, then Islam allows you to exit from this marriage. Oh. So even if it is after 20 years, if you find no other solution to your problem except separation, then that is something which is totally halal in Islam. Uh, I want to, however, say that we should never seek divorce without any good reason. You know, we shouldn't break up our marriage without any justification. Because this is something which is highly frowned upon in the Sharia. I'll just quote one hadith. The hadith is narrated by Abu Qulaba. He's Abu Qilaba. He says, قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أيما امرأة سألت زوجها الطلاق من غير ما بأس لم ترح رائحة الجنة. And the hadith is in the musannaf of Abi Shayba. And also versions of this hadith is found in the book of Imam Tirmidhi. رحمهم الله. And the hadith says that any woman who asks her husband for a divorce without any reason. In other words, she cannot justify why she wants a divorce. Right? She just wants out of the marriage. If asked why, she doesn't give a reason. The Prophet says, any woman who asks her husband for a divorce without any good justification or reason, such a woman will not smell the fragrance of Jannah. In other words, not, not, will, not will she be only deprived from Jannah, she won't even smell the fragrance of Jannah. Hmm. And the same goes for the husband as well. Although the hadith is quoting the, the, male, the female here, the male also. Let's say a husband just divorces his wife like that. What is the reason? He doesn't pro provide a reason. Just, he just feels like it. Okay? He will be answerable in front of Allah Ta'ala for that. For breaking up a marriage without any due cause. Right? So we, we shouldn't, uh, divorce shouldn't just be on our tongue very lightly and we shouldn't take it as a light matter. It's a very serious matter. But it is nonetheless a solution to a problem if there is no other exit uh, in the problems that we see, it is a an option that can be explored at least. But as I want to uh, repeat again, it should always be a last option after we've expedited all other avenues in reconciling uh, that marriage, inshallah. Shukran, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum. I am a revert and I'd like to do things in the proper way. Hence, I wanted to know if Sheikh can assist me in answering my question. Now, how Sharia compliant banking work and uh, is it encouraged to start banking in that matter? MashaAllah, we, we first want to commend you know, this person who is a river to Islam, uh, showing the interest in wanting to do the right thing. So definitely it was the right decision for you to revert to Islam. And Alhamdulillah, you are definitely on the right track, having this concern of wanting to live your life according to the deen of Allah, according to the law set out by the Quran and the, the sunnah of our beloved Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So as far as uh, Islamic banking is concerned, yes, we know this is a modern intervention where uh, before we did not hear about this. So obviously the conventional banking out there uh, has a number of problems, uh, a number of issues that clash with the principles of the Sharia. So one such issue is the issue of riba, the issue of interest and usury. We know that the Quran is very clear about usury. There's no way you can engage with, uh, with riba and be comfortable with it. Allah says in the Quran that 
In fact, Allah says, a person who willingly engages in riba and is not prepared to stand off from riba, he has waged a war against Allah and his Rasul And we know the system of riba is an unjust system. It is a system of exploitation. It's a system where the rich become richer and the poor becomes poorer. You know, that is what the system of riba is. It is really to enslave people. So you wanting to get away from that, yes, you should try your best to bank in such a way that you stay away from riba at all. And that is the giving of riba as well as the receiving of riba. You know, so if you have an interest bearing account, then you should immediately close it and opt for an account that is not interest bearing. And we do get obviously options like this. Another issue that clashes with the Islamic principles is the issue of gambling. We know that uh, the banking system works such that there's a lot of gamble that you have to take sometimes. There's investments in gambling sometimes. There's deception as far as these investments are concerned. So some of the conventional investment products within banking systems is totally against the Sharia because of the gambling aspect or because of the deception aspect. So what you should be doing is you should be looking at uh, uh, Islamic products within certain banks. So there's a lot of banks that realize now that Muslims don't want to deal in interest. They don't want to deal in uh, gambling. They don't want to deal in deceitful or decept deceptive devices. So they are, uh, they are now providing solutions for people to at least have somewhat a banking that is free from these things. So what you should be doing is you should be making your research and find out. And if you are going to do at any conventional bank, follow a particular product which has been told to you it is a halal product, you should find out who is the advisory board. And there must be somebody who is qualified in the Sharia who is able to tell you exactly what that product is all about. right? And if you're not satisfied, then you should not go in for it. Because many times it's also just a front where they want to say this, this product, but it's not really like that. Mm. So make sure you know who's the advisor, who's the Islamic Sharia expert, and you consult with that. And there are a number of products which can be looked at as being options, as a better option than the conventional banking, for example. Right? So yes, definitely as a revert, we are very proud of you that you're wanting to follow and do the right thing. And inshallah, we hope that Allah will give you that guidance to follow through and uh, do your investigation. You know, so basically, staying away from usury and interest, staying away from anything that clashes with the Sharia like deception, like gambling, like uh, investments that is haram, etc. Those are the things that you should be looking out for and it's always best just to consult a Sharia expert within that fraternity of banking to know exactly what products is on offer and whether it is actually compliant or not. Uh, there are various colors we do also host on Voice of the Cape. So if you would like mention on that uh, guidance of banking analysts to contact, you can check with our reception line 021 We take a short break. And when we get back, um, listeners wants to know what uh, is fatwa. Uh, another question around intimacy during Haid and uh, the modern world uh, exposing our children to makeup and nail polish. What uh, Sheikh's advice is on that, inshallah, more after the short break. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. Questions and answers. Our SMS lines are open, so send them through 47913 or fax us if that's your preferred mode. We've also got a Facebook page if you're listening to us over the lands and the beautiful seas. 0214477271. Assalamu alaikum. I always hear the term fatwa, Sheikh. Kindly explain what it means. Yeah, basically the term fatwa uh, and a person who issues a fatwa is called a mufti. Uh, basically, fatwa means the explanation of a legal ruling in Islam uh, that is given to a person who does not know the answer himself. He consults with a scholar, and the scholar who is qualified, of course, uh, he gives him a fatwa. So a fatwa is giving him guidance on the matter which he is asking about. Mm. Okay, So that is all that a fatwa is. It is information that is given to a person who inquires by a scholar that is qualified to do so. Alright, that is basically what it is. And of course, uh, as I mentioned, the person who is giving the answers and who is giving the fatwa, he must obviously be qualified to do so. He must be able to know the, the intricacies of the Quran and the Sunnah. He must be able to know the intricacies of how to uh, actually implement uh, and interpret those sources uh, in the context in which he is living and how the context, for example, uh, would uh, affect or would... Uh, 
influence his answer etc and which of the uh, questions that is posed to him has options and which of the questions don't have options so it's quite an intricate process uh, so it's basically when a scholar gives a legal verdict that is the, a nice English, uh, English translation for fatwa, a legal verdict that is given by a scholar on a question that was posed to him. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, you know, many scholars have pointed out that it is such a very important task for a person to do uh, such that you are actually speaking on behalf of Allah Ta'ala when you give an answer to someone. Uh, and that's why a mufti is not allowed to speak his own thing, to mm. make up his own mind. But he has to follow the sources, he has to follow the resources that he has in front of him. He has to apply the methodology which allows him to interpret those sources. Uh, so you are actually speaking on behalf of Allah Ta'ala. And this is basically what a fatwa uh, entails. Uh, it is, as I said, clarification of a legal ruling that is sought by someone who does not know what that ruling is. Is she able to give a quick answer as to, for us to explain what a mufti is? Yeah, as I mentioned, a mufti is simply the person who gives the fatwa. And he is someone who is qualified to do so. Okay. So obviously he must have studied extensively the Quran, studied the Hadith very extensively, studied fiqh very in- extensively. Okay. He must know the various views on the uh, madhabs, if it is on different madhabs that he's speaking. If it is in one particular madhab that he's speaking, he must know that madhab very well. Uh, he must also know uh, one of the subjects that is very, very, very important for him to know is the subject of usulul fiqh. Mm-hmm. Usulul fiqh basically is the rules of interpreting the sources. What are the principles of jurisprudence that you need to follow in order to come to your conclusions? Right, so a mufti is basically somebody who uh, has those qualifications, who actually has the ability to to do so. And in the Muslim countries, a mufti is officially appointed appointed okay. by the state. You know, a mufti is only somebody who is appointed by the state to actually serve as someone who will guide Muslims in the queries that they have. And that's why we find that the Muslim states, uh, you know, they have what we call darul ifta or darul fatwa. It means it's a, it's a like a, it's like a ministry really, a ministry of fatwa, and have officially appointed muftis that obviously answer the questions for them. Uh, and so it is a very important task that needs to be fulfilled. Mashallah. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I have a bit of an issue. I have been married for a few months now only. And if I have my hate, my husband does not want to understand that we cannot be intimate. Kindly explain why a husband cannot be intimate with his wife. Yeah, of course, this is one of the uh, rulings that is uh, agreed upon by all scholars. In fact, that if a woman has her menses, she is not allowed to have uh, intimate relations with her husband. Because obviously Allah says in the Quran, the ayah is very clear, Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 222, where Allah Ta'ala says, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْمَحِيضِ The ayah says, and they ask you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they ask you about the issue of menstruation. Say to them, Say to them that it is harmful, meaning it is harmful to obviously uh, come close to somebody uh, in an intimate way who has menstruation. So Allah then reiterates and He says, So stay away from women. And obviously saying away means stay away from intimacy with women that have their hayr. And do not come close to them until they had obviously been clean uh, and, and they take, took a ghusl, then of course you are allowed to again enjoy the normal privileges that you have. And the Prophet wasallam in Sahih Muslim, when he was asked about this issue as well, the Prophet had said, You can do everything except being intimate with your with your wife. So obviously when we speak about intimacy, what do we mean? What is the actual intimacy that is not allowed? It means the actual intimacy, the actual copulation, uh, sexual intercourse. That is what is not allowed. Uh, of course, foreplay and kissing and hugging and all of that is allowed. Is obviously halal. And uh, there's also another misconception. People think that if a woman has hate, you shouldn't come close to them in the sense of not even sitting next to them or touching food that they've touched or touching things. That is all. That is not part of our faith. Our faith don't encourage that kind of thing. Mm. A woman who has hayd, yes, she is in a state of not being able to make salah, but you are allowed to still sleep next to her in the same bed. You are allowed to sit next to her uh, around the same table. You are allowed to eat the food that she makes. You are allowed to touch things that she, she is touched because mm. physically her hands and her body is not, not dirty. It's just that she is under a state now, obviously, that she needs to stay away from salah, etc. So the actual thing that should be left off is the actual sexual intimacy that is obviously out of bounds between husband and wife until she's clean and taken a whistle but anything uh, beyond that is allowed 
uh, and there is nothing wrong as far as that is concerned. So this husband, obviously, he should be told about this hukum. It is uh, very important uh, to abide by this hukum. And medically, they will tell you now also the great harms that actually comes from couples who have uh, intimacy during the period when she has menstruation. You know, there's great medical issues there as well. As far as that is concerned, you can research it for yourself. And so Islam and the Quran always has hikmah why these things are there mm. and why they should be implemented, inshallah. Jazakallah, Sheikh. When we get back, more questions are now SMS line 47913. Back in a moment. Stay with us. Q&A. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim. So to uh, continue with our questions, uh, we've got quite a few. So shukran so much for everyone's patience. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Hawa. Uh, wa alaikum salam. Now my wife wears her nails long as she used to do that when she was Christian. I have explained to her that she should keep her nails short. However, she, say, she says she cannot come right with short nails. Her nails are not awfully long um, and she says it is an adjustment. She needs to get used to it. Uh, Sheikh kindly advise on this matter on women with long nails in Islam in Fadlik. Yeah, of course, uh, there are a number of things which uh, Islam has encouraged us to do as part of uh, our hygiene and as part of our cleanliness. Um, the Nabi sallallahu says in a hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari, um, there are five natural things that you must do in order to keep yourself clean. What are those things? Al-Khitan, circumcision, obviously mostly for the, for the males. Al-Istihdad, uh, removing unwanted hair. Qassu sharib for the males, uh, the trimming of the, uh, the moustache. Taqlimul adhafir, cutting the nails. And natful ibt, also removing hair under the arms. These are all issues that we must try to abide by in order to be in a state of hygiene and a state of cleanliness. The Prophet ﷺ had advised this. So most scholars say that these are all issues that are uh, issues of natural kind of cleanliness that you must try to follow. So thus they say it is makru for somebody not to abide by these things. It's makru not to cut your nails regularly. Notice we say makru. It's not necessarily something which is haram. It is makru. Makru means disliked. Hmm. Not to cut your nails regularly, not to cut unwanted hairs regularly, etc. These are all acts of makru. And then interestingly, there's actually a hadith where the Prophet had uh, mentioned uh, or at least the Sahaba had mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ had given a time period as well. You know, what should be the minimal time period that you don't let go by it, it's except that you have cleaned yourself, cut your nails and trimmed yourself and groomed yourself, etc. There's a hadith that is narrated by Imam Ahmad in his Musnad as well as Abu Dawood. The, they narrate a hadith from Anas ibn Malik radiallahu an, and he says, وَقَّتَلَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فِي قَصِّ الشَّارِبِ وَقَلْمِ الظَّفْرِ وَنَتْفِ الْإِبْطِ وَحَلْقِ الْعَانَةِ أَنْ لَا نَتْرُكَ شَيْئًا مِنْ ذَلِكَ أَكْثَرَ مِنْ أَرْبَعِينَ لَيْلَةِ The hadith is in Sahih Muslim as well with a, with a different wording. Um, and the hadith basically says, Anas reports to us and he says, The Prophet Sallallahu gave us a time period in which we should always try to cut our nails, trim our hair, cut the moustache, the hair under the arms, all of that, uh, remove all unwanted hair. Uh, he says we should not leave it for more than 40 days. So that is kind of the period, you know. 40 days at least should be a period that you should uh, do those things, the grooming issues and so on. Mm. Um, so ulama say it is makru to, do, uh, to leave it for more than that, to leave it for more than 40 days. So if... Uh, your wife, of course, has her nails long, but it is less than 40 days, then it's still okay. Uh, especially you're saying it's not like extremely long, mm. but it is a bit longer than usual. Mm. Then it's okay. You shouldn't be too hard on her, especially she's coming from a background where that used to be allowed for her. Okay, But we should then tell her that the hikmah as well. What is the hikmah? The hikmah, number one, is cleanliness. Mm. right? To be always in a the, in the space of hygiene. And also, secondly, we know that we have to take wudu all the time. And this is something that our women folk must be mindful of. If you do long nails, then it means that uh, there may be dirt that may accumulate under your nails. Mm. And if it accumulates under your nails, number one, it is unhygienic because you will be touching food, you will be touching other things, etc. And this may be a problem in terms of, uh, of health. Uh, and secondly, it will prevent water from reaching your skin. And if the dirt uh, prevents water from reaching your skin, then it means that your hudu is not correct. 
your do mm-hmm. is in fact incorrect. So you should tell your wife that it should not be to this extent where the dirt uh, accumulates and all of that. If it is not to that extent, then alhamdulillah, then at least it is okay. Uh, and so we, we encourage her uh, slowly and with, with gentleness that inshallah it is best to cut it for these purposes that we've mentioned because these are of the natural things which the Prophet ﷺ wanted us to take care of. And this for me spells out how beautiful this deen is. You know, the, the, the deen gives us guidance on these very small matters mm. that you'd never expect, you know, even the cutting of nails, for example, is spelled out to us, you know, uh, the importance thereof in the ahadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Jazakallah, Sheikh. All right, so unfortunately, the long, last question we have for today is, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I have a, a teenage daughter that is mukallaf, and she's now experiencing makeup, nail polish, and all these modernized things due to her friends. She asked me if she can wear nail polish just to try it out and I said when you have your period um, is this correct kindly advise that this is permissible Sheikh? yeah of course we, we, we try to inculcate within our children you know that uh, these uh, conventions of beautification is not necessarily what makes you beautiful you know we should uh, always instill this within our children uh, beauty comes from within you know our character that is what is beautiful uh, but we know it's a, it's a modern world that we are living in and it's difficult for them not to interact with these kinds of things so if it is within the confines of your home and you control it and it is under your uh, supervision then of course it's okay you know as long as it gets controlled like that and also uh, saying that okay during the time of menstruation is better yes I agree because during that time obviously you're not going to make salah so you're not going to need to take wudu uh, because if it's normal times you're not allowed if uh, you have na- uh, nail polish on your nails to make sal- uh, to make wudu because the water will not be reaching your nails mm. and that obviously prevent the wudu from being correct which prevents the salah from being correct so yes if you are in your menstruation uh, you can let your daughter try it out just to satisfy her uh, uh, curiosity and do it within the confines of your own home and you you know under your care and supervision and under those circumstances where she's not making salah etc and at the same time as i said try to instill within her that you don't need these uh, sort of uh, man-made conventions to make you beautiful you know our women folk uh, should realize that beauty is something which allah has given them naturally mm. naturally they are beautiful you know without having to put on these things and having to put on all these uh, extra issues etc but within the confines of your home inshallah there should not be any problem for her to do that under those circumstances Jazakallah, Sheikh, and unfortunately that's where we have to leave questions and answers for this week. But there has been just a small request, Sheikh, to make dua for uh, Buddha Ibrahim Abrams Buddha in Grassy Park as he is not well, inshallah. Inshallah, we will make dua that Allah grants him and all other ill uh, shifa, inshallah, Allah give them speed and restore their health for them. Rabbanas adhibil ba's ishfi anta shafi la shifa illa shifauk shifa la yuhadiru saqama nasalullah al adhim rabbal arshil kareem ayashfiyahu wa yashfiya marda al muslimin. So inshallah, may Allah grant him shifa and all those people that are ill out there, inshallah ta'ala. And uh, may Allah Ta'ala protect us all until we meet again. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wassalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Shukran so much for listening and staying tuned. Please do continue. For myself, Khawa Salman, wassalamu alaikum.